Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 5. Uh, Michelle read some of it. We're going to, we're going to do that again and um, continue through verse 18. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we do see him for a little while who is made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that for he, that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children that God has given me. Since therefore the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted. Listen to this. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Father, I thank you for giving us Jesus, our our founder, our trailblazer, our substitute, our sanctifier, our high priest. Thank you, Father, that that Jesus can identify with everything that we're going through and that he's blazed a trail to get to you. I pray that you would show us today, convince us in our hearts that Jesus is the one we need. He's, He's the one who helps us. Father, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a big uh, New Year's resolution guy. Um, I think you should be too. Um, And I know that you're going to poo-poo that. Uh, But I don't care. I'm going to continue to tell you that. Uh, And I don't care if it's New Year's. Maybe yours is going to be May 5th. I don't care. But I I think you should have some, some means of saying... Where am I at in my life? Where am I going? Where do I want to be? Where does God want me to be? And what do I need to do to get there? Okay, I think that's a really healthy thing in the Christian life. Remember two weeks ago when the last time I preached, we talked about drifting. And one of the things that, that I quoted was, I think D.A. Carson or Tim Keller, one of those guys said, no, no one drifts into holiness, okay? That's just not going to happen, okay? So don't, don't think you're just going to wake up one morning and be like, man, I got spiritual. I didn't even mean to do that, you know? Just really, just hit me, you know? I don't struggle with it. Mean, this is not going to happen, okay? And so you're going you're gonna to have to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to determine and, 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 and resolve, resolve that, that I'm going to go this direction in my life, okay? So anyway, that's my pitch for New Year's resolutions, so... Uh, but anyway, I wrote down seven, uh, and I, I got more to do yet, but these were ones that I kind of did on my vacation. And uh, so uh, I want to read you number two. Uh, pray personally 
and with my family about everyday situations, bringing God into every realm of our lives. Okay, now why, why did I pick that one? Well, I'll tell you how that came about. I was reading George Mueller with my two little girls, my, my 10-year-old and my 6-year-old, and we're reading a story about George Mueller and how when the boiler broke in the orphanage, what did Mueller do? You know, what would I have done? I'd call a boiler repair man, you know, I'd get the old pages out, man. And when can you be here? Ah, tomorrow. No, come on, man. Can't you, be? you know, that's, that's what I would have done first. Okay. Mueller, first thing he does, he gathers all the orphans, you know, he's got joy in his heart. He's got confidence. He's like, Hey guys, there's a cold front coming in. Temperatures drop. We need to pray right now. And we need to ask Jesus for his help. We need to ask him to, to, to push the cold front back and to keep, keep us warm. And, and we need to pray that the repairman would be able to come soon and that they would have a mind to work and, and they would get the job done quick. Come on, guys, let's pray. Yeah, that, that was his first reflex, all right? And, and I just started thinking, man, that's not always my first reflex, you know? I mean, there's so many times I, I go through this long process of, you know, doing all kinds of other stuff, getting all frustrated and irritated, and, you know, before I, I actually come and realize, hey, Jesus is the one I need right here, okay? So, so anyway, I wrote down that resolution, right? That's good. You should make resolves, right? You should also follow them, right? So we're driving back from uh, Texas. It got really cold. The last night we, we camped at the state park we were camping at. It's got in the 20s. And so we're like, man, we need to head back. And, but, but we still had, you know, at least another day. We actually had a couple, but we just said, okay, let's just go back. We'll take one more day. We'll stay in a motel somewhere. And so we were heading back and the trailer on my tire started leaking air. It started going flat. It had a leak in the valve stem. And so we're on the interstate. Fortunately, we were kind of in a populated area. I pulled over. There's this filling station there. You know, I'm like, hey, can you fix tire? They had a big sign that said tires and everything. He said, yeah, pull in that bay right over there. We'll be right with you. I pulled in that bay right there. I stood outside. It's cold. It's windy. I stood out. Waited a long, long time. I never saw a soul. Like, like it wasn't like some guy was busy doing I mean, I never saw anybody. I, I'm, I'm convinced there's nobody there, okay? So we wait, we wait, we wait. Finally, I'm starting to think, you know what? <laughs> he's not gonna be able to fix this. It's on the valve stem. My daddy can fix it anyway. I'm going to need a new tire anyway. I don't have a spare. No, no joke. I, I, ever since I've had that tra- trailer, I've taken Jeff Alexander's spare tire with me. Okay. I always go over to Jeff's house. I get it. I take it on the camping trip. I, when we come back, I go bring it. I didn't do that this time. That's when I need it. You know, I've never used it before. But anyway, so I don't have a spare. So I'm like, I need a spare. You know, I'm, I'm frustrated about that. I'm irritated about that. I'm irritated. About that. So anyway, I told him, let's just go buy a tire. So I find me a Walmart. I know we passed one just, just a few minutes ago. There's one just right down the road. You know, I know there is. So she gets on her phone. She finds the Walmart. We punch it into the Walmart. We take off. I make, I immediately miss a turn. Just like, like 10 seconds, you know, she's like, turn there, you know, there we go. So anyway, we, I'm irritated about that, you know? And so, but, and, and then we start driving, we get back on track, start driving. It's not the one I passed, you know, we're like driving to another town. I don't know why, but we're going to another town in Walmart. So I get to the Walmart, I go in, they have the tire. I have to dig for it, but I find the tire, I get the tire, I get it out. I go, I get all my, all the stuff out of the van. You know how that is, right? All the, you know, everybody's luggage out. I find my, my Jack and my lug wrench and everything. I get it out. The lug wrench is the wrong size. It doesn't. The lug wrench for my tires on my van does not fit the lug wrench for the tires on my trailer. So I put everything back in the van. We're driving to AutoZone, and I remember my resolve. Remember? What was it? I'm going to bring everything to God in prayer, bring the family. Hey, guys, let's pray. Let's keep going. I do not want to pray. Isn't that a strange and sinful thing? Okay. I don't want to pray. I'm, you know why? Well, first of all, I'm irritated. All right. I'm, I'm irritated. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated with my family. Why? I don't know. They're just not doing anything. You know, they're just sitting in there complaining that they're hungry. You know, I'm irritated. That I didn't go to Jeff's. I'm irritated. That the, guy, the guy at the gas station. And, and so I know I need to be, I don't want to pray. You know, nobody wants to pray when they're irritated. And, I, and, and, and so there's part of me that doesn't want to pray. And I'm, I'm thinking, 
not, why do I not want to pray, you know? And, and I, by the way, I go ahead and pray. You know, I'm like, hey, guys, let's pray, you know. It's a really poor job, and my heart was not, you know. But I tried. I took a step of faith, all right? So quit criticizing me. I, 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 I follow my resolve. I pray, but as I'm analyzing that, I'm like, why did I not want to bring everything to God in prayer? Well, I, I think, first of all, it, it's all centered in, I, I, I don't think in my sinful heart, and I knew this in my head, but you know how you, you know something in your head but not in your heart? I didn't think Jesus was what I needed. You know, I, 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 what I thought was, I needed Dale Earnhardt's pit crew at that, that, that gas station is what I need. I needed to back up in there. Three guys run out. You know, credit card gives me a pop. Go, go, go. They push my van, you know, run out on the interstate. I mean, that's what I needed, right? That's what I thought that I needed, all right? And, and that wasn't there. And, you know, something, well, how does Jesus help? You know, again, I know in my mind the right answer. Okay, you guys, you're with me. Sometimes you know in your mind the right answer. But my heart is not coming to Jesus. I'm not coming immediately to Jesus. Why am I? not I, I think deep down again i think sometimes we're convinced that he's not what we need in this situation so i've bitten off a great big chunk of scripture here really should have preached three sermons but i want to get to verse 18 okay and so verse 18 because he himself has suffered when tempted he's able to help those who are being tempted did you hear that he's able to help you That's who Jesus is to us. He's the one who's able to help in every situation, in every circumstance. He's the guy you need. And see, I really believe we're going to walk through Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2 is just jamming this into our our heads. He's who you need. He's everything you need. All right. And we got to get we got to be convinced of that in our heart, not just in our head, but in our heart. We got to be reflexively convinced. Man, he's what I need right now. He's what I need. And this I got to go to him. I got to get right with him. I got to seek him. And he's going to give to me what I need. Because you know the reality? The reality is there's probably about a million tires in Dallas that I could have bought, okay? And there's probably another million guys who could have changed it. You know what I really needed in that situation? It really wasn't a tire. What I needed more in that situation than anything else was the right heart about this deal. Isn't that true? That's what I really needed. I mean, looking back on it, man, I needed, I needed Jesus just to give me a new heart. I needed Jesus to give me joy. I needed Jesus to, to make me the guy in my family that turns the thermostat to joy and says, guys, we got a flat tire, new adventure, come on. You know, I mean, I needed to be that guy that says, hey, we're on vacation. This is the perfect time to have a flat tire. You know, let's go see. I mean, I needed to be that guy. And Jesus is the guy who can make me that guy, right? That's who I needed. Okay? But I think we need help being convinced, don't we? We need help being convinced that Jesus is who we need so that we stop doing this dumb thing that we do of, of we run into something, we face some kind of pressure, we face some kind of problem, and we try to handle it ourselves, and we turn to frustration, and we turn to irritation, and we get mad, and we throw a fit, and we, we, we turn to whatever else, and we blow it and make a big mess, and then we finally, finally come to our senses. We stop doing that, and we need to reflexively come to Jesus. Why? Let me give you some. I'm glad you asked that. Let me give you some reasons. All right. Why? Number one, because he is our trailblazer. Okay. You're saying, where's that in the text? Well, that word's not in there, but it should be. Okay. I, I like that translation better than the one that's in here, but I mean, the one that's in here is good, but 
Verse 10, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder. That, that's, what, that's what Hebrews 2 calls Jesus, the founder of their salvation. Founder. You know, that word founder, it's an interesting word. It, it, it's a word that, that means um, leader, originator, pioneer, author, captain, trailblazer. Okay, it's a word that describes somebody who makes the way. Okay, somebody who who creates the way, who who's the originator of the way, who goes before you and makes a way for other people to follow. Okay, so so that that's what the word means, and that, that's why I like trailblazer. You know, it's just like that that makes sense to me. Is it, whenever I whenever we I do lots of hiking, whenever we go hiking, I always want to talk to somebody who's been on that trail before. And that really helps me. That, hey, what's it like? You know, what am I going to encounter? How long is it? How hard is it? Is there water? I mean, I want to know. I want to I know somebody who's personally been there. Let me tell you, folks, Jesus has personally been there. Isn't that awesome? That's the God that we serve. He is our trailblazer. Notice verse 14. Since therefore the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Man, God stepped out of the, of the heavens and he put on human flesh and he was born in poverty. In poverty. Right away, he's on the run. His parents got to flee because they got people trying to murder him. That's experiencing humanity, isn't it? You know? Right away, he, he lives his life with people whispering that he's an illegitimate child because they know that Mary was pregnant before the wedding. I like to deal with that your whole life. You do that. Jesus dealt with that. His whole life, he he's he's our trailblazer. He suffered. Notice notice the emphasis on Jesus suffering. Verse nine, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Jesus he suffered loss. He suffered the loss of his comforts, of his heavenly surroundings. He suffered humiliation. He suffered frustration and rejection and affliction and physical pain and emotional pain. And he suffered things that you and I will never suffer. Mainly, if you're a Christian, the, the guilt and the wrath of God for your sin, Jesus suffered that and you don't have to. We'll talk about that in a minute, okay? But Jesus, he, he has suffered and, and he has blazed a trail through suffering and through humility that has led to exaltation. Notice that's where it leads in verse 9, okay? Because of the suffering of death so that the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And it says he's been crowned with glory and honor because of that. Jesus Jesus has, has gone through death, he's gone through suffering, he's gone through humanity, and he's come out on the other side. And now he's our founder, he's our pioneer, he's our trailblazer. What's he doing? You know, some, some of you come to church, and you're, you're thinking there's an angle here, right? Like, what does this guy want? You know, quick, hold your wallet. You know, what does he want? You know, what's he want? He wants time, he wants something. You know, what do all these people want? What does God want from me? Hey, I'm going to tell you. You know what? You know what God is doing? You know what God's doing in Jesus? You know what God's doing through the Bible? You know what God's doing through his truth, through his word? It's right there in verse 10, okay? It was fitting that he for whom, by, and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory. That's what he's doing right there. He's bringing many sons to glory. Glory, Jesus comes down in his humanity. He lives this perfect life through suffering and pain and, 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 and distress and affliction and finally taking our, own, our death upon himself. And he goes to the grave and he comes out resurrected. And now he's bringing sons to glory. Follow me. 
If you're joined to him, you're tethered to Christ through suffering, through death, through humiliation, all the way to glory. That's what he's doing. He's bringing sons to glory. What does that word glory mean? That word glory is the attributes of God, okay? God is glorious. He's perfect in every way. God is power to the greatest possible degree. God abounds in loving kindness. God is love to the greatest possible degree. God is rich in mercy to the greatest possible degree. God is wisdom to the greatest possible degree. God is beauty to the greatest possible degree. God is joy and holiness and justice and and amazing to the greatest possible degree. That is what glory is. And what is Jesus doing? Man, he's bringing sons into glory. Okay, that's what he's doing with his life. That's what he's doing with his death. You know, if, if, we, if we had time, we don't have a whole lot of time, but if we, if we had time to unpack the, the first couple verses of, 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 of our passage, verse 6 and 7 and 8, those are, those are references to the Old Testament. That's in Psalm 8. If you turn to your Bible, you don't have to do this, but if you turn to Psalm 8, you're going to find those verses in Psalm 8. You know, and, and what they're describing is that God has this incredible plan for man. You know, what is man that you're mindful of him? What's the son of man that you care about him? You made him a little lower than the angels, but you've crowned him with glory and honor. And look at verse 8. You put everything in subjection under his feet. God created mankind to reign and to rule on the earth. It was everything in subjection to him. That's the way God created him. All that blew apart with sin. Now notice the rest of verse 8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. But listen to this. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. That's true, isn't it? What do you see now when you look around? Well, you see earthquakes and volcanoes and floods and tsunamis and tornadoes and cancer and drought and famine, economic collapse and heart disease and cruelty and oppression and death. That's what you see. All right? But verse 9, but Jesus, our trailblazer, he he has blazed a trail through all of that into glory, and now he is bringing many sons to glory. Jesus can identify with you. He suffered. Just more than you have, actually. Okay? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Listen to this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. You know, a lot of people read those verses and they're like, well, what what does that mean that he was made perfect? Our our text says that as well. Does that mean that Jesus wasn't perfect before? But now, no. It, It doesn't mean not perfect in the way of sinless, but perfect in the way of perfectly suited for you. Okay? Perfectly suited to be your high priest. Perfectly suited to sympathize with you. Perfectly suited to know what you're going through. You see, that, that's, how, that's how he was made perfect. Is it G, God threw him into everything. He threw him into suffering and he threw him into the pain and, and the distress. And he threw him into rejection. He threw him into everything. That You know why? So that we would see... We would see him as the glorious trailblazer. We would see him trust God. We would see him, you know, put his faith in God. We would see him be obedient to God. We would see him surrender to God. We would see him yield to God. We would see Jesus do all of that. I mean, imagine if he had a perfect life. You know, imagine Jesus with a perfect life. Could you identify with that Jesus? You know, he comes and he's born in a palace and everybody immediately caters to him and God keeps him from all irritating people and, you know, there's no germs and he just, you know, no. I mean, could you, I, I mean, we, we got a high priest that sympathizes with every situation that we endure. Jesus has been there. Jesus has blazed the trail. When we're faced with situations in which it's hard to trust God, man, Jesus has been there. He did it first. He did it perfectly. He is our trailblazer. All right? And he saved us from hell. That's not in my sermon, but it's like 120 degrees in here right now. And I just thought I would just mention that. 
Is it that hot down there or is it just up here? My goodness. I mean, I'm wanting to strip, but that's not appropriate. But I mean, I have a t-shirt on. (laughs) Someone's helping me out, making you uncomfortable and feel the fires. I don't know. Okay, so he's our trailblazer. Number two, he is our substitute, okay? He's our substitute. He takes our place. That's what it means that he's our substitute. Look at, look at verse 9, okay? Look at verse 9. Namely, Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Man, that's beautiful. He might taste death for everyone. Jesus took on our our humanity that he might experience it to the full and that he might taste your death. You know, it's it's really weird that sometimes Christians have this attitude that people ought to get what they deserve. You know why I say that's weird? Which I know sin has consequences. You know that, right? You reap what you sow. I mean, those are all biblical principles. I get that. But but the fact that we would kind of be like, hey, you know, they got what they deserve. You know, that's that's really a funny concept because... We did not get what we deserved. And we stand in grace. Jesus, we had this bitter cup of sin and death and wrath and judgment to drink. And Jesus steps in and takes it from us. I I, I love the the imagery here. Verse 9, taste death for us. You know why I love that? Because in, in, in Matthew... Remember in Matthew where Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's, get, he's in Gethsemane and he's, he's praying. You know, man, he's just troubled. He's sweating drops of blood. The Bible says he, he was under such stress that the, the capillaries in his, in his head were breaking and he was bleeding from his, his pores. And, and he's, he's praying three times, it says. And, and, and on the second time, he, he keeps praying, God, take this cup, this cup from me. And then in verse 42, he says, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it. See the imagery there? You had this, this cup of sin and death and wrath and judgment that you deserved. And Jesus stepped in and drank it. You know, one of our, one of our problems, it's one of my problems, so I'm assuming it's one of yours, is that we, we don't see sin as it is. Instead of paying attention to how the Bible describes it, we... We, we think of how the world describes it. And, and the world does a fantastic job, by the way, of saturating your house and your, your eyes with a different view of sin. The world does a great job of, of describing sin as justifiable, okay? The world will coddle you, okay? If you like to be coddled, if you like to be told, you poor thing, you, you know, I can't, you know what? You, you have every right to talk, you know, you had every right to say that. You had every right to be angry. You had every right to be mean. You had every right to, 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 to gripe back like that. You had every, by, by how you were treated, you poor little martyr, okay? If you like that, I kind of like that. I kind of like that, you know? I was thinking that in the trade, driving the trailer, you know. Nobody cares about this but me, you know. I'm like, I, I playing this whole vacation, pack everything up, you know. Anybody interested? Not, not just me. You know. If you like that, you, you'll love the way the world treats sin, okay? Because it always says you're justified, you know. You're justified. You shouldn't have to put up with that. Man, all that you, as hard as you work, man, you deserve a little bit of breath. Come on. The world says that. You like hearing that, don't you? We, you deserve that. The other thing the world's really good at is making sin to be funny. 
Isn't it amazing? There's entire shows dedicated to sexual immorality. And they're comedies. Isn't that strange? I mean, I mean, I think someday we'll step back and say, that was really weird and I did not even see it. You know, have you ever thought about that? You know, you take topics like homosexuality, you take it like divorce. Man, if, you, if you're here today and you've been through divorce, you know there's nothing funny about that. It's a brutal tearing your guts out. You know what the world will do? It'll make a show that says, this is really funny. We've got one-liners and jokes and television and movies that, 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 that make that out to be just... It's funny, you know, a bunch of crazy guys doing crazy things. There's really no harm, no foul. Really? No harm, no foul. You know what we ought to do? We we ought to pay attention to how the Bible describes sin. Let me give you three pictures, okay? We'll just just do three. There's tons. Let me give you three. Here's one in Romans. Romans 3, and this this is all of us, by the way. Romans 10, none is righteous, no, no one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. That's all of us. Okay, now go to verse 13. Here's the picture. Given to us by the Bible. I'm not making this up. Here's a picture. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. So you can look at your your words. You can look at your slander, your anger, your your criticalness. You you can look at that as justifiable. You can look at it as funny. Sometimes it is funny, right? We have these little jabs at people that are humorous and we can come back. And even though we really meant to hurt them, we can say that it's funny. You know what the Bible says about that? It says when you open your mouth, there's a corpse rotting there. That's not my picture. That's the Bible's. Your mouth, your throat's an open grave. Isaiah chapter one is an interesting passage. It it's talking about the sin of oppression, the sin of not caring about people, not caring about their needs, not being involved in their lives, just being able to walk by people and not, not care about their, their plight. And here's what Isaiah says about, about, about Israel's sin. The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. Verse 6, from the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in it, but bruises and sores. And then... You would wonder, why didn't the Bible just stay there? Bruises and sores. That's, that's good, right? We get it. Bruises and sores. The Bible goes further. Why does it go? I'm asking you, why does it go further? Listen. And raw wounds that are not pressed out or bound up. Why, why tell us that? Why, why picture a wound that is infected and it's got pus in it and it stinks? Right before dinner, you're welcome. <laughs> Why? It's the Bible. It's not me. Why? Why, guys? That's what your sin is. That's what God's telling us. One more. And by the way, I'm reading the PG version of this one. There's other stuff I could read in this chapter that's worse, much worse. But here's how God describes his people, what he's done for his people, and then when, when, when they sin. And I put a ring in your nose and earrings on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. And God's so good to us. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothing was of fine linen. God's describing his people as his wife. Silk and embroidery cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I bestowed on you, declares the Lord. Now, how does he describe sin? Verse 15. But you trusted in your beauty and you played the whore. Because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby, your beauty became his. Go ahead. What's the the picture? Play it out in your head. 
The picture is idolatry. When, whenever we give ourselves to other things, whenever we, we desire and covet and dream of and, and, and worship other things other than God, we make other things the big thing in our life, the most important thing in our life other than God. God says, you know what that's like? That's like a, a husband that, that dotes on and gives his wife everything she needs and makes her beautiful in every way. And then she goes up on the street corner and gives herself sexually to anybody who passes by. That's the picture of sin. Now, you, you take those three pictures. Sin is ugly. And, and here's how the Bible sums it up. Romans 6, 23. We teach this to our team kid kids all the time. The wages of sin is death. Sin brings death. Sin is death. Every sin is death. And here's what this passage is telling you. Jesus Christ tasted your death for you. He's your substitute. What a man. What a man, huh? Jesus drank it. He took it all. He took it for you. Man, whatever sin you're in, whatever sin you can't break free of, who, where's your help come from? It comes from Jesus. You're like, well, he, he can't identify because he's not a sinner. He's not a sinner, but you know what? He has drank the guilt and the pain and the suffering and, and the wrath of God for your sin in a greater way than you ever will if you're a believer. He knows. And he's able to help you. Goes on further. Verse 14 says that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. In verse 15, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Man, death has us by the throat. I don't know if you knew this, but you're dying. You're dying. You're aging. Your body's breaking down. No matter what we try to do, we can't get away from it. You're getting weaker and weaker. Your heart only has so many beats in it. And since the beginning of the sentence that I just started, it has less than it did when I begun. You're closer to death. I'm closer to death. We can't get away from it. There's no medical advancement. I don't care how many tofu sandwiches and rice cakes you eat. You're not going to live forever. You're going to live two weeks longer than me. That's it, you know. That's what it's going to do. You can't get away from death. Your body's going to end. It's going to crash. And that's Satan's plan for you. Nobody can help you but Jesus. Jesus rescued us from death, from the slavery of death, by his indestructible life. And so because he tasted death for us, you know what he did? He redefined death for the believer. You know, now, now when Paul talks about believers, those who have put their faith in Christ, who are following Christ, who are on this path to salvation that Jesus blazed for us, when, when Paul talks about that, he says, they sleep. <laughs> you know, it's not death anymore, they sleep. When, when he talks about Paul, he says, for, for me, to live as Christ, to die is gain. It's to go to the new heavens and the new earth where, where crops don't fail and economies don't topple and injustice is not found and war is no more. Jesus has stripped the devil of his power against against us in death. We were at this World War II museum in Fredericksburg, and, and man, I didn't get to go through the whole thing. I, none of us actually got to go through the whole thing. It was huge, just enormous, very well done. Um, but but Hannah, Hannah and Addie went through more than I got to. I was holding Carrie in Haven. She had, she'd passed out asleep and was comatose, and so I was trying to carry her and look at the stuff. But Hannah told me this story that really gripped me. 
And they had all these testimonials from World War II soldiers, and they had some videos and some um, some some just written and, and pictures and all kinds of great stuff. But uh, it was of the surgeon in World War II, and he's uh, in one day. This happened in one day. In one day, he's got all these guys coming in that are wounded. He's got this Marine sergeant that comes in, and he's just shot all up. And he comes to him, and he begins to work on him, and, and he says, "Buddy, you're going to make it." And the sergeant's like, "You know." I, I'm not going to make it. I know that I'm not. I know I'm going to die. And he grabs the, the surgeon. And he says, he says, I'm an only child. He says, I'm afraid that nobody will remember me. Will you remember me? And the surgeon said, buddy, I'll remember you. Every day of my life, I'll remember you. And he dies. A couple hours later, this gunner comes in from a tank. He's all shot up. The surgeon begins to work on him. Same thing. The gunner reaches up and grabs him. And he says, I'm afraid that nobody will remember what I did. I'm afraid that nobody will remember my sacrifice. Will you remember me? The surgeon says, I'll remember you every day of my life. And so the, the surgeon was the one that was given this testimony. And, and he said that every day of his life, at the end of the day, he sits down and he says, have I remembered the gunner? Have I remembered the sergeant? And I get that. I get that you want your life to matter. You know? You want, you want to have done something with it. You want to do something that matters. You want people to remember you. I, I get that. But you, you know what really gripped me? And I don't know anything about those two soldiers. But what gripped me is what Hebrews 2 is telling us is that's not the end. Isn't that awesome? That's not the end, you know? Uh, I, I mean, again, I don't know anything about those two guys, but, but I think the way that they were looking at death is, man, my life is over and this is it. And this, whatever I did, that's all it's going to be. And just the memory of me is all that there is. And Jesus tasted our death so that we might not be a slave to it. So that Paul could face execution and say, you know what, to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I can't decide which I'd rather do. If I live, I get to keep ministering and, and serving Christ and exalting Christ. But if I die, I get to go to be with Jesus in a new life, with a new heavens and new earth, in a world that's the way Psalm 8 intended it to be, where man will live and rule and reign in fellowship and harmony and relationships forever and ever. Jesus tasted our death for us. He's our trailblazer. He's our substitute. We don't have much time for the rest. There's two more. I'll give you one more, okay? He's our sanctifier, okay? Now, let me, let me just skip to the part I really like on this one. Verse 11. For he, this is Jesus, he who sanctifies and the one who, who, those who are sanctified, that's us. He who sanctifies is Jesus. Those who are sanctified is us. All have one origin. We're all, we're all, we've got all one common humanity. We have one common father, okay? The rest of the verse says, that is why, this blows me away, people. That is why he is not ashamed, to call them brothers. Jesus Christ is our sanctifier. He lives a righteous life, okay? So that all who come to him, all who, who put their faith in him are joined to him so that his righteousness comes into us so that we are sanctified positionally. E- even though we keep blowing it, even though we keep messing up, we're sanctified, we're righteous in Christ. And, and, and so he, that leads to this incredible, incredible statement. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. I have people come in my office all the time. And you know the chief reason they don't come to Jesus for help? This is how the devil works. You know, here, here's what they'll tell me. I, I just, I'm afraid to even pray. I'm ashamed to even come to him. 
I've done so many bad things. That was the last thing my, my buddy Vince said before he was shot and killed. He said to me on the phone, I've, I've done so many bad things, I don't think Jesus wants me. There are people that, even Christians, who get this in their head that, you know what, I've, I've flubbed it up so many times, I, I, I'm not going to come to Jesus. Hey, I'm not arguing that you haven't flubbed it up many times. I agree. I'm, I'm right with you, okay? I'm not arguing about your sin. But here's what I'm arguing. I'm arguing that Jesus does such a fantastic job in sanctifying us. Jesus does such a thorough job in being our substitute, in bearing our sin, and bearing our death, and bearing our iniquity, and coming through on the other side. He does that so completely that he is able to grab me by the shoulder and say, I'm not ashamed to call this guy my brother. What should that do in you? You know what I'm... I think some people are going to be afraid that, man, if you keep telling people that, they're going to be like, well, man, if he's not ashamed of me, even though I keep messing up, I can just keep messing up. I do not think that's what it will do in you. Here's what I think it will do in you. I think that will make you say, you know what? Man, Jesus has paid it all. I want to follow him. Man, I'm going to come to him. Every time I meet something hard, every time I meet some temptation, every time I meet some suffering, every time I meet a challenge, every time I have a flat tire on my trailer, I'm going straight to Jesus. You know why? Because he's able and he's willing to help me. Man, that's who I look for to help me. Have I said that in this passage? Have I, have I told you that? I don't remember what I said in this one or the other ones. It happens to me sometimes. I'm a guy that needs a lot of help. Some of you guys, you're, you're not those people. You know, you, you don't. You don't need help all the time. You got, you got tools and trailers and pickups and trucks and knowledge. I'm the guy. I got one lug wrench. It doesn't fit my trailer. That's, that, that's my life, okay? So I need help a lot. And you know, you know who I call for help? Two categories, okay? I look for somebody who knows, who's got tools, who's got equipment, who's got knowledge, okay? I look for that guy. But that's not it. There's a lot of guys who have that that I won't call. You know who I look for? Number two, and this may be even bigger. I look for the guy that is happy to help me. I, I, don't, I don't want to call the guy that's like, yeah, I'll be there. Just let me finish what I'm doing. I, I just don't. I mean, I'd rather try to do it myself. I really would. Can I read it again? That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. I'll tell of your name, my brother, to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I'll sing your praise. Man, he is a sympathetic. We don't have time for this one. But he's a high priest. He's a sympathetic and a faithful high priest. He knows. He knows where you're at. He knows what you've gone through. He knows what it is to face what you're facing. He's ready to help. My friends, he's ready to help. You hear that? We end up in verse 18. That's where I wanted to end up, right? Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. You know what I want for us? I I want for us... I want to be like George Mueller. Man, when when whatever, whatever I face, I want my first reflexive response to be, Jesus is who I need right here, right now. He's got what I need. He's willing. He's able. He's the one. He's been through it. He's my sanctifier. He's my substitute. He's my high priest. He's my trailblazer. He's my founder. He's my pioneer. He's my author of salvation. 
He's what I need right now. I'm going to him first. And I'm trusting whatever he tells me, I'm going to do it. I'm going to know he's taking care of me. I want that. I want that for you. Let's come to him. Jesus, I ask your forgiveness when we don't come. God, you're, you're everything we need, Jesus. You're everything we need for every situation. God, you're, you're it. Jesus, you're, you're awesome. Forgive us, God, when we try to do it ourselves, when we just make a horrible mess of it. And Jesus, I thank you for your, your tasting death for us, your substitutionary atonement for our sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for being our help. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.